once a day. So go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 35. I told you we were in part 7 of our Death to Selfie series. Uh, We've been spending the last few weeks studying Jacob and his extended family in the book of Genesis and looking at how uh, what that teaches us about our identity, about who God has made us to be, and how so often we try to be all these other things. We try to be what the world thinks it wants us to be and how we can just rest in who God has created us to be. And as we wrap this up, I believe we're going to do it in, in a most appropriate way in Genesis chapter 35. But before we get to that, I want to honor a couple of people. Um, I know that Matt has already left, but uh, Matt Dunn preached last Sunday for me as I was uh, here, but I wasn't studying and prepared because we just had our baby. And so would you join me and just give Matt uh, some thanks and some honor? Um, He brought the word. He looked at the story of Abraham and how Abraham teaches us that God can bring new life into dead places. And the week before that, Jimmy Fulp preached for me because I was actually at the hospital for the delivery of my daughter two weeks ago today. And uh, Jimmy preached on, on Jacob and he looked at uh, the story of him having his last child, Benjamin, and how we can take naming rights over our situations, how we can call it what we want it. And so would you just honor Jimmy with me very quickly for bringing the word. I actually got a text message this week from a friend of mine who uh, goes to another church but listens to our podcast regularly, and she said this. She said, how blessed you are to have men step up in your absence. This message I just heard uh, while you were out was really, really good, Uh, and she put like three exclamation points. Uh, So I thought it was very cool that, that God spoke through these men the last two weeks that you guys gave me the, the room to breathe and uh, celebrate this transition in our life as we went from one kid to two kids. We went from having them outnumbered to playing man-to-man defense now. And uh, right now my wife's outnumbered because she's at home with both of them. Uh, so hopefully she's handling that well. Uh, it's a whole new season for us. Yesterday she took her mom to the airport and I stayed home. I was like, well, I'll just stay home with the kids. And it's like the first time that came out of my mouth, I'm staying home with the kids. It's one thing to say I'll stay home with Judah. It's another thing to say the kids, like you're full, full, full blown dad mode when you've got the kids. Uh, so new, new season for me, but I brought some pictures cause I know everyone wants to see some. So here's a, a picture of our family. First of all, that's the four of us two weeks ago today, the day that Alexa was born, there's Melody, Judah, Alexa, and myself. And then uh, Thursday we went to the doctor for a checkup. Go ahead and put that next one up. This is Alexa's first checkup and uh, Judah's 18 month. Uh, and so I apologize for nudity and city shirt. Um, but that's my babies. That's our kids. And, uh, they are a lot of fun. She is completely opposite of him in every possible way. Uh, he was very quiet as a baby. She is very loud. Uh, he hardly ever ate. She wants to eat all the time. In fact, she's already gained, that was 11 days after birth, she'd already gained 10 ounces. So she's gaining like an ounce a day. Uh, usually babies lose weight. My child is growing <laughs> very quickly. Uh, so she's ours anyway. We know that. Uh, but <laughs> didn't get switched. Uh, we are having a lot of fun, and we thank you guys for giving us some, some time and some space to, to connect with them. But I'm excited. I'm back full-time starting today uh, and excited for what God is up to this week in City Church. So in Genesis 35, we are getting near uh, the end of Jacob's journey. Jacob's uh, run away from home, and God's, he's had a lot of brokenness. He's had a lot of blessings. He's had a lot of things happen in his life. He's seen a lot of battles. And now God gives him an instruction to return to a place where he's been 
once before. And as we wrap up this series today, I don't so much want to preach you a message as I want you to just take a journey with Jacob. We're going to go on a journey with him today, starting in Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, starting in verse 1, says, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who's been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Sometimes before you can go forward into what God has for you, you've got to bury some stuff from your past. Sometimes you've got to let go of some things. Sometimes you've got to clean out some things. You've got some junk that, that's been coming along with you. They had some foreign gods. They had some stuff that they were tolerating, some stuff that they were worshiping, some stuff that wasn't God's best for them. And before they could walk into God's new call for their family, before they could step into this new place that God had for them, Jacob said, no, we're not going in to this new thing carrying old problems. We're putting this old stuff away before we take this step. Verse 5, then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. In other words, God's presence was so strong and so heavy on this family that nobody messed with them. We're, we're not messing with them. We're not trying to hurt them. We're not attacking them. There is something different about these people. What if our lives were different in such a way that the world could see it? What if people looked at us, at our workplace, at our schools, in our neighborhoods, and said there's something different about that family? There's something different about that guy. There's something different about that woman. What if they were in awe of what God was doing in our life? How would that change their appearance? How would that change the ways that they look at who God is and at what he's up to? Verse 6, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel in the land, of Canaan. You see, this was called Luz the first time that Jacob got there. In fact, to the surrounding people, it's still called Luz because we're going to see it in a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 25, Jacob has his first experience there. And the experience was so significant and so powerful in his life that he took naming rights. And he said, you know what? This place isn't Luz anymore. It's going to be called Bethel. But to everybody else, it was still Luz. Now, Jacob and his family are going to settle there. And after they settle there, they're going to change the whole town's identity. It's going to become Bethel. It was just a very little, almost nothing place to begin with. But once this family settles there, it'll be Bethel from this point forward. But now it's still Luz to everybody else. To Jacob, it is Bethel, but everybody else is Luz. Verse 7 says, there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. That's actually uh, one of Dwindle's favorite Mexican restaurants. Uh, because it was there that God revealed himself to him while he was fleeing from his brother. I want to speak to you for a few minutes today on the subject, when God shows up in the middle of nowhere. When God shows up in the middle of nowhere, and I think this is really going to speak to, today to all of us, but to two groups in particular. If you are here today and you are going through a transition, or you are here today and you are in trouble, this word is going to encourage you today. Because Jacob was in both of those situations. He was in transition, moving from Haran, this place that had become his home for 21 years. This place where he had met both of his wives, where they had birthed his children. This place that had become home. He's leaving Haran, and now he's not going back to where he grew up. He's going back to Canaan, but not to the same place. He's going back to a town where he's only, he spent one night there. 
He doesn't have a history there. He doesn't really know what to expect. But not only is he in transition, he's also in trouble. See, if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 34, you're going to see some, some family dysfunction that's almost too graphic and too brutal to, to, to comprehend how this even made it into Scripture. I'll let you guys read it for yourselves. Uh, it's a pretty crazy story that goes down in Genesis 34. But Jacob is not moving to Bethel from a great place in his life. He's not in this place where, where everything's going well, where everything's working right. And so some of you, you're in transition or you're in trouble today. And I want you to see, just as Jacob saw, that God can show up in the middle of your nowhere. That God not only can, but I believe that God will show up in the middle of your nowhere. How many of you guys are, are following March Madness. Any college basketball fans in the house? A few of you. Not enough. I'm obviously a failure as a pastor. I need to do a better job. Um, I love college basketball, and March Madness is the greatest event on the sports calendar, Like the, especially like the first Thursday and Friday when all the upsets happen before the best teams kind of reign supreme towards the end. Uh, it, there's just something about it. But I'm a Washington Huskies fan. I'm originally from Seattle, Washington, and I've stayed loyal to all of my teams. And so as a Husky fan, March Madness – uh, is not that special for us because I think this is our fifth year in a row that we haven't made the tournament. Uh, so we're not in the main NCAA tournament. We're in the NIT. Uh, yeah, yeah. This the, it's the tournament where you're embarrassed to say it. Uh, and I'm such a loser fan that I still watch them in the NIT. I know that's, that's shameful. Uh, but I watched them Tuesday night. They had their first round game in the NIT against Long Beach State. And, uh, and we won. Not that that's really anything to be proud of, but we did. Uh, and, and at the end, uh, the game was on ESPN. And they interviewed uh, DeJounte Murray. And DeJounte is a, the star guard. He's a freshman, maybe going to the NBA, should be a first-round pick. And DeJounte had just scored 30 points. And so they're interviewing him. Uh, and the, the reporter asked him this. He says, this is your first postseason game. How was it? And, and I want to show you his answer. Go ahead and put this slide up for me. He says, it was good. It's a blessing. But you know, I'm on to the next one. I don't ever stick into the past. I'm on to the future. Now, athletes say this kind of thing all the time, and I think this is probably a good trait for a competitive athlete where you're always looking at the next thing. You're always getting ready. You're always gearing up. You're, you're always focused on the next step. I can't celebrate. I can't get too happy about what's already happened because there's another game coming up next week. There's another challenge coming, but I think there's also some danger in this attitude. Uh, a friend of mine posted this on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was such a great quote. He said, beware of destination addiction, a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is in the next place, the next job, and with the next partner. Until you give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. You see, sometimes I think we're so focused on the next job the next relationship, the, the next paycheck, uh, the next thing. In fact, I can I just tell on myself, my wife and I, we just filed our taxes this week. And not only do we know what we're doing with this year's tax return, we already know what we're doing with next year's tax return. That's sad, right? Like We're only going to see that for a year, and we already know what it's going to. Uh, but sometimes we spend so much time living in the future that we don't get to enjoy the moment. There'd be no shame in him saying, you know what? Man, that was a lot of fun. Man, I got to show out in front of my hometown crowd. I don't know if I'm going to be here next year or not. Man, I, I'm really glad this was a great opportunity that I just had. And tomorrow, man, tomorrow is back to the grind. Tomorrow is back to the weights. Tomorrow is back to practice, and we're getting ready for the next game. But tonight, 
I'm going to celebrate. Tonight, I'm going to enjoy it. And I think sometimes God's people miss it because we're so focused on something that we don't have. We never take a chance to step back and say, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God has given me. Look at what God has blessed me with. My dad is, is an amateur songwriter. And I say amateur in that uh, he wrote, I don't know, three or four songs when I, when I was very young. Uh, and he would play them on his guitar. And my dad is who I get my singing voice from. And if you know me, that means that's not a compliment for dad. Uh, we don't sing very well. Uh, and, and so I remember as a kid, my dad would play his guitar and he would sing. And we were captive audience. There was nothing we could do. Dad wanted to sing in the house. It was his house. He's going to sing. Uh, and, and I remember one of the songs that he sang. Uh, it had this line, and I don't know if he wrote this himself or he got it from somebody else, but I always thought it was so profound. He said, I'm not who I want to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be, but I praise God I'm not who I was. I'm not who I want to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be, but I praise God I'm not who I was. And I think sometimes as Christians, we spend so much time measuring up to the who I want to be and who I'm going to be. Sometimes we forget who we were. And sometimes we just got to take a step back and say, wow, God, you got some more work to do in me. I'm not saying that, but I cannot believe what you've already done. I cannot believe how far I've already come. Sometimes we need to, to take a moment and to celebrate what God is up to. For us to fully understand the significance of what Jacob is experiencing as God calls him to go back to Bethel, we need to understand what happened in his life the first time he went to Bethel. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to go back to his first experience here. Genesis chapter 8 verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. It's an important verse. Jacob left home. He left this place where he was comfortable, this place where he had settled, this place where he had grown up, the place where his family was, the place that he knew. And he left that place and he set out for Haran. Now, Haran was a city he'd never been to with an uncle he'd never met. He didn't know what Laban looked like. He didn't have Skype. He didn't have FaceTime. He didn't know who this person was he was going to visit. And so there was some uncertainty in his life as he faced this moment and this decision. And it was then as he sets out on this unknown journey to this uncertain place that God shows up in his life like he never did before. I need you to know today that God will show up in the transitional moments of your life. God will show up in the unsure moments of your life. God will show up in the, the discombobulating moments, the confusing moments, the moments where you say, how did I get here and, and where do I go from here? That God will show up in those moments just as he did for Jacob. Some of you here today, you're in a transition season, a career transition perhaps, an emotional transition. Maybe someone has been taken out of your life. Maybe you're here uh, in a financial transition or a school transition or a relational transition. It doesn't matter what kind of transition it looks like. I want you to know this. God wants to show up in the middle of your transition. God wants to show himself strong in your moment. He wants to meet you in the middle of your nowhere. Or you don't know exactly where you're going, but you know you can't go back where you came from. He'll meet you in the middle of your nowhere. See, Jacob, when he was there the first time, he only had a staff in his hand. He didn't have much. He, he wasn't rich. He, he wasn't loaded like he's going to come back in a totally different situation. But his first time, it was just Jacob and a stick. And God showed up and met him anyway. Some of you in this room, you don't even know why you're in Olive Branch. 
You don't even know why you're in South Haven. You don't even know why you're in Memphis. You don't even know what God is up to. You don't even know why you're at church today. You don't even know what is going on. I want you to know in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your cloud, God wants to show up in the middle of your nowhere. Because God knows why you're here. Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau because, as, as we learned in the first two weeks of our series, because you attend church faithfully every week, amen, we learned that he has stolen his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. And so he's on the run because Esau's a bad dude. He's a hunter. Esau's got guns, and he knows how to use them. And Jacob is on the run. And 21 years later, Genesis 35, God tells him to go back to that place. And we see the story here. Genesis 28, moving on to verse 11, the first time where he came to Bethel. It says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. How significant was Bethel? It was just the place that he got to when he was tired. It's a place that, well, the sun started to go down. I guess I'll camp out here tonight. This wasn't planned on his itinerary. He didn't book a hotel in Bethel on Priceline.com the week before he left. This wasn't his game plan. He just got there and said, you know what? This looks like a good enough place. There's nobody around. It's quiet. It's nowhere. Why don't I sleep here? Then taking one of the stones there, he didn't even have a pillow. He took a stone. He put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I'm sure it was a great night's sleep. I know the value of a great night's sleep right now. You got a baby who likes to be up at night. She's nocturnal. Pray for us. Uh, verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. A very famous dream. A lot of songs have been written about it. Led Zeppelin wrote a song about this dream along with many others. He saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. With the benefit of hindsight, the benefit of what we know about Jesus, there's this ladder, this stairway that Jacob dreams about is actually a foreshadow of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who gives us access between heaven and earth. He's the one who left heaven and came to earth, and because he came to earth and planted on earth, we can now use Jesus to get to heaven. And so Jacob has this vision of Jesus. He doesn't know it's a vision of Jesus. He doesn't know all the details of what's going on here, but he knows it's a significant vision that God gives him. Verse 13, there is above it, he stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Notice he's only the God of Abraham and Isaac at this point. He's not yet the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Side note right here, the thing that God is doing in your life, the way that God is blessing you, the thing God's bringing into your life, it ain't just for you. It's not just about you. When God blesses his people, when God does something for his people, when God gives you some great pizza, he's got somebody else in mind that he wants to bless with it. Amen? Always got to remember that. God's got a bigger goal in mind than just you. Doesn't mean God doesn't want to bless you. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about you. He does immensely. But he's got a bigger vision than just what he's doing in your life. There's a bigger picture. Verse 15, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. 21 years later, he's about to make good on that promise. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I love this next sentence. And I was not aware of it. God's been here the whole time. I just didn't know. 
In the middle of your nowhere, can I encourage you today? In the middle of your transition, in the middle of your trouble, can I just tell you today, God's been there the whole time. You may not see him yet. You may not feel him yet. You may not know what he's up to. You may not understand it yet. But there will come a moment when you have this aha like Jacob did. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I'm not aware of it. Praise God. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. In the Hebrew, that is Beth, means house, and El is short for God. It's Elohim, Bethel, Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Oil is symbolic of the presence of God. He's making a declaration for future generations. This is where the presence of God is. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So in the remainder of our time together today, what, what I want us to do is I want us to, to go on this journey with Jacob, but we're going to make it a very specific journey. Uh, touch somebody next to you and say, I'm going, going, back, back to Bethel, Bethel. See, we're going back to Bethel with Jacob. I'm going, going, back, back to Bethel, Bethel. About 5% of y'all got that. It's Biggie chapter 2. Um, going back to Cali, not Cali. We're going back to Bethel. Bethel here is going to represent three things for us. Why would God take him back to Bethel? What is the significance of going back? Well, why, why, as he's about to enter something new, as he's about to come into a, a new experience in his life, he's going to live in a new place. He's going to now become the patriarch in the family. It used to be Isaac. Now Jacob's stepping up, and he's coming back to the promised land, the land of Canaan. Why does God say you're going back to a place you've been before? Well, I think Bethel's significant for three reasons. Write these down. Number one, Bethel is the place of remembrance. This may be the most important one for some of you in this room today. Bethel is the place of remembrance. Did you know that one of the most common commands in all of Scripture is remember? You know, 162 times the Bible tells us to remember. And I think there's some significance in that. You see, sometimes I think we get so caught up in seeking a fresh touch and a fresh word that we miss out on the significance of the touch God already gave us and the word he already spoke to us. So sometimes God just says, look, I've got some new stuff for you. I'm going to take you some places you've never been before, but you haven't gotten everything out of the last thing I did in you yet. So I need you to remember what I said to you. I need you to remember what I've done in you. I need you to remember. Genesis 35, verse 3. Y'all can come every Sunday. Please be back. <laughs> Y'all moving to Memphis. You don't know it yet. I'm just kidding. Genesis 35, verse 3, Jacob says this to his family. He says, come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. You see, when he went to Bethel the first time, he said, whoa, God is with me. Surely he's in this place. He got a revelation that God was there. Now, 21 years later, he says, God's been with me everywhere I've gone. He wasn't just with me in Bethel. He was with me in the greatest mistake I ever made. He was with me when I hit rock bottom. He was with me when I met my wife. He's been with me. And so he says, now we got to go back. And sometimes I think we need to remember. Sometimes we need to remember. See, this has been a good season for me. 
of remembrance. Number one, I had some time off work, and sometimes you just need some time to think, right? So I had some time to remember some of the things that God has done. Number two, this is, this is Palm Sunday. It was Palm Sunday 2012. It was my first Sunday as pastor here at City Church. Four years ago, it'll be four years in, in about a week and a half. This is my fifth Palm Sunday because this Palm Sunday happens to be earlier than that Palm Sunday. Easter's weird. Uh, but, but, but it's given me a chance to reflect. And so I had some people step up and, and do some things while I was out with our baby. And, and it gave me a chance to, to remember. I got a chance to remember the first time I met Matt. And if you were here last week, you got to hear him preach. And if you serve in First Impressions, he's uh, over your ministry. And he's, a, he's an awesome young man. And the first time I met Matt, he was a youth pastor at another church here in town. And he came in on a Wednesday night with his flat bill hat pulled low. Uh, and he wanted to invite us to, to a, a event that was going on at their church and first time I'm just being real real and I said this first service when he was here too so I'm not bashing him behind his back uh but I was like dude why are you doing this on a Wednesday night you're a youth pastor you know I got a million and seven things going on on Wednesday night why are you coming in here uh right before service trying to get me to go to something and so I was annoyed with him that was my first reaction little did I know that that guy would become one of my best friends in the world little did I know what God was up to, that, that he and I would spend just about every week for the next two years meeting and talking about ministry together and, and sharpening each other and making each other better. I had no idea that God was going to move him and his wife, Charlie, to a city church later on down the road, and they moved over here last summer. I, didn't, I had no clue what God was up to when this guy shows up at our front door with his flat bill hat on. And it gave me a chance to remember. It gave me a chance to remember two and a half years ago as my wife and I sat down for dinner at Bahama Breeze in Memphis, and I got a phone call from Jimmy Fulp, and usually I don't take phone calls when I'm doing dinner with my wife because that's, that's our time, and I'm going to honor her, and she's my greater priority even than ministry, but I knew I needed to take this one. So I took the phone call from Jimmy, and if you know Jimmy, Jimmy is always happy. He is always positive. He is always encouraging, and it was a different tone on the voice when I talked to Jimmy, and he started to talk about this test that he had had done, and they had found something in his neck, and he couldn't even come out and say the word cancer, which is crazy, because if you know Jimmy now, now he laughs at cancer. He says the word every chance he gets. He's like, yeah, I, I beat cancer. That's the way he says it. Uh, but at this point in time, he didn't know he was going to beat it, and it was terrifying for him. It was terrifying for me. I love Jimmy, and he said, you know what? Even, even if I make it, I may never be able to sing again. Because I got to go in and they got to cut on my neck and they don't know what's going to happen to my vocal cords. So every Sunday when we're worshiping and we're raising hands and we're praising God, I'm doing that. But there's a, there's a voice sometimes that reminds me, you know what? He didn't have to be up there. The enemy tried to take him out. The enemy tried to shut him down. And two weeks ago, as he stood up here and he preached, uh, even though I wasn't here, I was in the hospital with my wife, I, I got to sit back and reflect on the fact that the man who was filling in for me on the Sunday where I'm out with my baby wasn't even supposed to be alive. Sometimes we got to remember what God did a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, three years ago, 20 years ago. Sometimes we got to remember. And I've got more names in my notes, and I wish I had time to go through, but... Once again, I've taken too long, so I'm going to have to cut a couple of these off, but, but I've had the chance to remember, and I don't say this just to, to, to be able to stand on a stage and cry and have a moment with you. I, I say this because you've got some things you need to remember. There's some things that God's done in your life, and sometimes the, the, there's some things that creep in between now and then and some frustrations and some bills and, and some problems and some kids and, and whatever creeps in, and we forget what God did. 
But I think one of the greatest ways for God to propel you into your next blessing is for you to be grateful for your last one. I think one of the things that's going to position me the greatest for the next move that God has at City Church is me celebrating the last move that he had. And so we've got to take time and remember. Some of you, you need to go back to the point where you got saved. You had a radical transformation. God reached in and he pulled you out of the miry clay and he delivered you from some junk. Some of you, you need to go back to the point where God placed a calling on your life and you heard his voice. Some of you need to go back to the point where you received an encouragement or a word from God that was life-changing. Some of you need to go back to the point where you you prayed and you received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You were filled with the presence of God where God placed some giftings inside of you. Some of us need to go back and we need to remember. That's why Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift that was placed inside of you by the laying on of hands. Why? Because sometimes you're going to forget the gift that God put in you. And you got to start up. You got to reconnect with your testimony. You got to reconnect with your blessing. You got to reconnect with what He did in your past. So we're going to take a couple minutes this morning and we're going to remember. And we're going to do something a little different than, than we've ever done it before, but we're going to take communion in the middle of our message. Normally we do it after the sermon or before the sermon, but we're going to do it in the middle today because I think this point is so strong. And I think there's no greater way for God's people to remember. The worship team, you guys can go ahead and come down. To remember what God has done than to come back to this place of communion. The Lord's Supper where, where Jesus says, I want you to do this in remembrance. It's his request. It's his command for us as his people. So if you'll bring the lights down for me, what I'm going to ask you to do is the worship team comes up if, uh, the, on the first couple of rows and then just kind of gradually from there. If you guys will stand up, come down, grab us a piece of bread, grab the juice. We have a gluten-free option on the back of the plate for those who need the gluten-free. So if that's you, grab that. If you're not gluten-free, leave it for those who are. Uh, but, but if you guys would, go ahead and grab the elements of communion. Make your way back to your seat, uh, and then we're going to worship. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. Just enter in as you get back to your seat. We can do that right now, guys. Go ahead and stand up. First couple rows. I'm forgiven. Cause you were forsaken And I'm accepted You were condemned And I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. Now it's my joy to honor you in all I do. sing through that chorus one more time. If you would, just enter in with us. Lift your voice. Amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love. 
chapter 11 just stay standing for a moment it says for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread go ahead and take the bread in your right hand it says when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me we're going to take communion together in a moment but before we do I want to make some room for you to remember if you're a Christian here today What that means is you've believed on Jesus Christ to be the substitution for your sin. You've believed that the Son of God left heaven and came to earth, died in your place so that you can have new life with him. And if that's you, and if you truly believe that, if you confess that, that should blow your mind. And I know if you're like me, there's times where I don't remember There's times where I get caught up in other things and distracted by all the busyness of life. And so today we're going to make some room and we're going to remember. I want to give you a minute. The band's going to play, but I don't want you to sing along with them. We're just going to create some atmosphere. I want to give you a minute just to talk to God right where you're at. Just to thank him. To thank Jesus for what he did. Just to, to meditate on his sacrifice. To meditate on who you were before you came to him or who you would be now if it wasn't for him. To remember what he's done in your life. You may not be everything you want to be. You may not be everything that God's going to make you into. But recognize and celebrate what God's done in your life this morning. Let's remember. God, we come before you today. We step back from the busyness of life. We step back from, from the distractions of, of bills and families and activities and everything else going on. And we remember. Father, we remember the, the, the Father who allowed his son to die in our place. I can't imagine the heartbreak you felt in that moment as you let your son die for us, your only begotten. Jesus, we remember the sacrifice you made, the nails you took in your wrists, the thorns you took in your head, the whips that came through your back. We remember the sacrifice. We honor your request. We remember the body that was broken for us, and we can never repay you. We can never do anything to compare to the sacrifice you made for us, but we can do this. We can remember. That's what you've asked for. And so this morning, we honor your request, Jesus. We remember your sacrifice. We remember your death. We remember your brokenness, and we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take the bread.
says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant, in other words, up to this point in time, every year there had to be a sacrifice for their sin. They sacrificed bulls and oxen and doves, and they were constantly making sacrifices to cover their sin. But Jesus says, I'm now the sacrifice, and I only have to die for you once. My blood is strong enough, it's pure enough, it's powerful enough, it's sinless enough to pay for every mistake you will ever make. Every time you will ever deny God, every time you will ever forget me, every time you will ever do something contrary to my voice, this blood is strong enough to cover all of that. There's a new covenant, and it's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant where he took my place, amen? And he says, drink this in remembrance. So we're going to do that. Let's pray and then we're going to take it. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that is still strong enough to cover sin. Still strong enough to wash away sin. Still strong enough to make sinners into saints. And we thank you for it. God, we ask today that you would give us a fresh cleansing, a fresh remembrance and an awakening and revelation of what you've done in our life. What you've done for us. God, make it real. The sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave every drop. You didn't withhold any. You didn't hold on to any selfishly for yourself, but you poured out everything to pay for our sins. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take the cup. It goes on in verse 26. He says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, you proclaim that he died, but you also proclaim that he's alive. He's coming back. So then, what I want us to do, we're going to move on in our message in just a moment, but I, I, I want us to stay in this attitude of remembrance for just a second. Tell you what, let's sing through that chorus one more time. I know we didn't do this first service, but, but would you stretch your hands to heaven if you feel comfortable and celebrate the God who died in your place? Come on, let's, let's remember. message for you, and then we're going to celebrate and worship together a little bit more at the end. Number one, Bethel is the place of remembrance. Okay, can I just encourage you? First service I said this week to make some time to remember. I'm just going to go beyond that. Can we just begin to develop some habits of remembrance? Okay, can we become people of remembrance that, that we would not take for granted what God has done in our life? You, you can bring the lights up so they can take notes on these last two points, and then but number one, Bethel is the place of remembrance. Number two, Bethel is the place of revelation. See, in Genesis 28, 16, his first time at Bethel, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He, he got a revelation. He got a vision of God. And so why does God take us back to Bethel? 
Number one, God takes us back to Bethel to remember what he's done before. But number two, he takes us to give us some new revelation. You see, when, when I go back to my salvation, when I go back to, to, to some very key specific moments that God has moved in my life, when God has done something in me, many times that catalyzes a new conversation with God. And he's going to show me something that maybe, maybe I forgot or maybe that I never saw before. Maybe I'm going to become aware of something new. And so Bethel is the place of revelation. So if you feel like, man, I haven't heard God's voice for a long time, one of the greatest things you can do if you haven't heard God's voice is go back to the last time you heard his voice. Have a conversation with him over that. God, I remember when you said this to me. I remember when you told me this. I remember when I heard this. And many times that can kind of pop that cork. That, that can reinvigorate your ability to hear him. Because it's not that God's not talking to you anymore. It's sometimes we lose our ability to hear. And when we go back to the last time we heard, we can get some new revelation. So Bethel is the place of revelation. I don't know if you guys have ever made us a really stupid declaration. I did a few years ago. We, we were, I was a youth pastor here, and then actually our founding pastor was still pastor. We were looking to move into a building over on Hacks Cross and Goodman Road, and, and we'd kind of started raising money for it, and we had this whole game plan, and we actually went over there, and we prayed over this building that we thought we were moving into, and we were confident this was God, and I don't know if you've ever missed God, but it's embarrassing. Uh, we missed him, uh, and so I made this statement in this building. I was still single at the time, and I said, you know what? I'm going to meet my wife in this building which is really stupid on a multiple levels because number one, uh, we never moved into that building. Uh, my wife has never been in that building. Uh, but here's why it was even stupider than I realized. I had already met my wife. I just didn't realize it. I already knew it. I'd already knew her pretty well. I just didn't know she was going to be my wife. And Jacob has that moment. Okay. God was here. I just wasn't aware of it. Melody was going to be her. I just didn't see it. I wasn't aware of it. And sometimes we come to that place where, where all of a sudden our eyes open. It's like, oh, she was there the whole time. I just wasn't to a place where I was ready to take that step, where I was ready to be the man that she deserved, where I was ready to be it. And, and so if you're waiting on something from God, can I tell you, God's probably already got it lined up for you. He might just be waiting on you. He might be waiting for you to get ready. And he was just, God was there the whole time. He was just waiting on Jacob to wake up and see that he was there. In the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of his hurt, in the middle of his trouble, in the middle of a bad report from the doctor, in the middle of a failed marriage, in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, God can show up in the middle of that nowhere. And he can speak and he can give revelation. So number one, Bethel is a place of remembrance. Number two, Bethel is the place of revelation. And number three, Bethel is the place of response. It's the place of response. The first time Jacob went to Bethel, he was running, running from Esau. The second time he comes back to Bethel, now he's limping. Because see, in Genesis 32, Jacob met with God another time. And he wrestled with God. And when he wrestled with God, God touched his, socket, his hip socket and it changed the way he walked. You know, when you come into God's presence and have a real experience with him, it's going to change the way you walk. He walked differently. He went, instead of running to Bethel, now he's limping to Bethel. The first time he went to Bethel, he was scheming, making deals with God. He said, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll honor you. In fact, you see this. I showed you already in Genesis 28, the vision that Jacob had in Bethel. I didn't show you the vow that he made. Check this out. Genesis 28, verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow after he's seen Jacob's ladder, this, this stairway. 
And he says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, it will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. You ever try to make a deal with God? God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. That's where Jacob was at. This is Jacob's first time really experiencing God's presence. He doesn't know God's goodness. He doesn't know who God is yet. He doesn't understand God's character and his nature. So he tries to make a deal with them. Some of you, you came to church today making a deal with God. Well, God, I'll go to church if you just give me that job. If you just give me that interview. God, God, I'll go to church if you'll just help my marriage get back together. God, I'll do this if you'll just do that. And, And I'm not dogging you if that's you. I've been in that place before. But I just want you to know God's better than those deals. He's better. He wants so much more for you than the little thing that you're asking of him. He says, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob responds. See, Bethel's a place of remembrance. It's a place of revelation. But number three, it's a place of response. And so Jacob responds to the voice of God and he makes this vow. He makes this commitment. Now, don't worry. We're not taking another offering. Like, we're not like coming for your money. That's not where this is going. But I do want you to see that it's in there. That, that, that he responded physically. Man, God, you've done something to me. You've shown something to me. You've made me, made me aware of your presence. I'm going to put something on the line for me. I'm going to sacrifice in response to what you're doing. Genesis 35, 14, as Jacob's coming back to Bethel for the final time. It says, Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. What's he doing? A drink offering. It's a sacrifice. It's a response. Oil, again, significant of the presence of God. He experienced God's presence again in Bethel. Verse 15, Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. The first time Jacob did all the talking. God, here's the vow I'm making to you. If you'll do this, 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 and this, then I'll do this. Second time Jacob doesn't have much to say. He just builds an altar and he worships. He responds to the presence of God. And so we're going to worship again in just a minute. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond, but I don't want this to be, hey, we worship for five minutes at the end of the service. That's my response. I want this to, to be a Kickstarter. I want this to to be the the beginning of your response. You see, because as you remember this week, the things that God's done in you, as you go back to the place of your salvation, back to the place of your anointing, back to the place of your experience with him, don't just celebrate it. Respond to it. Because the same thing that God did in your life 21 years ago can be the thing that he uses to take you to a new level today. The same place in your life that God used to bless you in another season and another generation can be the same place that he uses to take you to a new level today. But it requires a response. God never does something without allowing us to be a part of it. We have to respond. So we're going to take the next few minutes. We're going to sing this song all the way through. I know we've sung it a couple times already. But we're going to declare his amazing love. And as we do, I want you to celebrate, to rejoice. And if God's talking to you today, I want you to respond. Jacob made some responses to what God had done in him. One of them was worship. But he also made some commitments. He made a vow. Maybe there's something God said, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to change this area of your life. I need you to tweak some things here. I need you to begin to step up here. If God's placed something in you, if he's spoken something to you today, I want you to take this time to respond to his voice and to make that vow. Let's pray very quickly. Father God, we